0: Where's this going? What do you want me to do? There's sometimes a buggy. How many drivers does a buggy have? One. So let's just say I'm driving this buggy. And if you fix your attitude, you can ride along with me. Okay. I want you to go back to work tomorrow. You were recasting the lead actress anyway. Audition many girls for the part. When you see the girl that was shown to you earlier today, you will say, this is the girl. Hello, listening people. Hello. You're listening to Spit and Polish Presents. I am one of your hosts, Ryan Slunski. And I'm Bartek. Hello, Bartek. How are you? Good, Ryan. And you? I'm very well. Could you give me that reply again, but in Polish, just so that we can reinstate and reinform everyone that we are
1: both Polish, but
0: you speak the language and I don't.
1: Right. Was it? Uh, what was the line again? Good and you, Ryan. Yeah. Dobrze, a Cool. Cool. Oh, yeah, See, cool, cool. That's cool. What's cool in Polish? Uh, I guess it's kind of like good, but it can be cool. Fine. Just fine. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> it sounds just like saying fine
0: but with an accent.
1: Yeah, but in Polish, fine is cool. But you know what's weird though? Mm. When I was in Poland, I think last time, my stepmom and sister took my brother and I to a pizza restaurant. Mm-hmm. And we, we had a pizza there. And it was nice, but it wasn't, you know, mind blowing or anything. So we just It said, wasn't oh, fine, yeah. It wasn't fine, it was just fine. And we told them, yeah, this was okay. We said it in Polish, but, like, obviously, we said okay. And then mm. later on, my dad came up to us and was like, oh, man, you really didn't like that pizza, huh? And we're like, no, we said it was okay. Apparently in Poland, okay is, uh, like, coded, no, I didn't like it, but I'm being nice.
0: Is that not what it is in English?
1: Because it kind of sounded like with how you told that
0: story, that is what it is. In all in all honesty, I agree with your dad.
1: <laughs> no, no, we thought the pizza was fine, but, like, we just thought, like, yeah, it was all right.
0: Yeah I, yeah, I guess. It's just the tone of how you're saying it. I guess it's because the story has coloured the experience as well. It's just like, it was fine. <laughs> like It was fine. Which in its way is saying, it wasn't, but I've got to say the words. But I get it. But that is... Look, if we could keep doing this for the podcast, we would have to change everything about the pod because we are a movie podcast, Bartek. We talk about movies.
1: Oh, I thought we were top four Polish podcasts.
0: Well, we are that, but, uh, you know, with our radical views, like, oh, Poland and it's sexism, ooh, boo, and you being like, carbonated water, boo. (laughs) But let's get into the minutia of the show. Bartek, what is happening? What
1: is the show? What are we doing? The show that we are doing this time is Pictures Powwow, the show where we have a film that has been recommended by either one of us or a listening person. Uh, which is an individual member of The Listening People, Um, and we basically give a a discussion-type review of the film and our Mm -hmm. thoughts on it, and, you know, just kind of casual analysis, I guess you could say. Um, And this Mm -hmm. week, we have a recommendation from The Listening People. Our friend Mm -hmm. Reese, who's been on the podcast a bunch, has Mm -hmm. recommended the 2001 David Lynch film Mulholland Drive.
0: Yes, not to get confused with this 1999 TV pilot, Mulholland Drive, which we can Mm -hmm. talk about as well. Uh, So we are going to be talking about Mulholland Drive by David Lynch in depth. So this is uh, going to have spoilers in it. So if you have not seen this film or if you need a refresher on the film and don't want to have the details spoiled for you, do give it a watch uh and come back and listen to us if you yeah. are not concerned with that or if you have seen the film and and want to hear our thoughts off we go bartek
1: yep and if you're on the fence about whether to listen or not i think this is a type of film where kind of starting off with the spoilers might make it easier to talk about or at least mentioning it early on so Ooh, i may
0: disagree with that i think i think you okay. just need to watch the film for yourself and then and then come
1: back i think oh, no, no, I, I mean for the purposes of our discussion in this episode
0: yeah, I guess. So, let's get into Mulholland Drive. I'll talk about my history first with this movie, and I guess briefly to touch upon David Lynch as a filmmaker as well, although we've talked about our feelings on David Lynch a bit on the pod, and, but we'll retouch, we'll touch upon them again for people who haven't heard those. Uh, mm-hmm. Mulholland Drive is uh, one of the earlier Lynch films I have seen. Um, I had probably seen... Elephant Man before this, and I'd definitely seen Eraserhead before this, and so I had not uh, had a full grasp on the the Lynchian-type storytelling that he does. You know, Elephant Man is a bit more of a conventional story, uh, still told in a Lynch way, but not full-on Lynch, and Eraserhead is, well, it's crazy. And so that does give me an understanding of what Lynch was like. But even Race Ahead is very different to Mulholland Drive. So I had seen Mulholland Drive not really being in the context of David Lynch fully. um, And I hated it. I did not like Mulholland Drive. I've only seen it... The one time before this viewing, and that was that time, I absolutely despised this movie. I found it pretentious. I found it needlessly boring and slow. I didn't like any character. In fact, I did not think there was any character with actual character to them when I first seen it. That that Mm -hmm. part has changed, definitely. But... I, I didn't find it engaging, I didn't find it uh, com- particularly compelling, nothing about it stuck with me really, like when I think about Mulholland Drive over the years, all I remember is, oh that's the Naomi Watts movie, like that's what I remembered more so than any of the visuals or twists and turns or dream sequences or anything else that is a bit more trademark things you remember about a David Lynch movie. This one didn't even make that much of an impact on me other than I didn't like it and over the years I've talked to people and I've encountered the world of film discussion and the internet and this is, you know, probably one of his most acclaimed movies it's one of his highest rated movies it's even higher rated than Blue Velvet, which I think is his best film um, and I have over the years been wanting to revisit it to see if my opinion has ch- will change because also I have a a bit of a deeper understanding of David Lynch, the person and the filmmaker. And I've heard him talk over the years about his process of making stories and movies. And he would often bring up this film as an example of how he approaches telling stories. Mm -hmm. So I was excited to revisit this. Um, what's your history with this?
1: Um, I hadn't seen it before. I'd heard of it, but didn't really know anything about it. I think it was, uh, last year I watched my first David Lynch thing, which was, um, Mm. Blue Velvet, and I enjoyed that. And then obviously earlier this year, you got me into Twin Peaks, which was initially for the purposes of the podcast, but I found myself enjoying it quite a bit. Um, Mm. so when I heard that our friend Reese McKenzie recommended this film and we put it on the list, Uh, that was always a sort of promising thing for me because I was really keen to check out another thing that David Lynch has done. Mm. Um, So for this podcast, as of last night, I watched the film for the first time.
0: Uh, Wow. I was also interested, too, that our friend Reese McKenzie, who's a film guy, recommended this movie because he has talked on our podcast before that he has an even lower tolerance than I do for pretentious um, films. He really does not like uh, very pretentious, uh, slow movies. He has less of a tolerance for them than I do. And so I was very keen on the fact that he likes Mulholland Drive, and he likes David Lynch, and this kind of touches upon uh, our discussion last week on the Neon Demon of why do people like why do certain um, filmmakers or storytellers like David Lynch get away with that kind of problem that we may have with other. Uh, films and pieces of media david lynch seems to have cast a spell on people like myself and you and reese of he does these things that we may not like in other movies but we like them when he does th- them and it's always yeah. interesting to figure out why that is for each individual and we'll definitely touch upon that uh, in our discussion uh so what did you think of mulholland drive
1: I quite enjoyed it. Um, it was it was definitely a film where towards the I think the last third is when the big shift happens. Um, when it happened, I was you know trying to analyze what was going on, why it made the shift, what came before, what is currently happening, mm-hmm. and even though it took until like after the film was done for me to fully piece things together, and even then you know I'm not fully sure. Um, I felt like there were moments in that last third where like something was introduced, and I would have like a moment of insight, and think like, mm. "Oh, okay, it's all coming together." Before you know another thing happens, and I'm like, "Wait, no, that's not right." Hmm. Um, so yeah, it was it was an interesting experience. Uh, weird things happened. Um, a lot of them, a lot of them reminded me of Twin Peaks, mm-hmm. um, including return a returning face. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> a few, a few, a, a few. Yeah, I'm pretty sure there were a few. Um, but and and yeah, even though and I know you brought this up last week, you know we watched the Neon Demon. Um, that was also a confusing film, and you asked me mm. straight up like why do why do I like the David Lynch stuff, um, but I don't give this a pass. And I've been thinking about that. Mm. Um, and definitely watching this film made me think about it a bit more. And we'll we'll definitely get into that as we go on.
0: Mm, yeah I'm well, I'm I'm glad you had a good time with it cuz I did think when I was watching it and I'm going I was thinking about our discussion last week and again people give that episode a listen Bartek and I really get into some heated discussions and and, and delve deep into some interesting topics but yeah. just to touch upon it again I was watching this movie and I was thinking about your comments about the neon demon and I was thinking well, will Bartek carry that ideology into this movie? Because there's a lot of overlap here, and mm. unlike that movie, this movie it's um, a little less clear of what was happening after you've watched it. At least for me, but. Um, yeah, so I was curious to see if you would walk into this one being like, "This is the first Lynch I didn't like, Ryan," and it had a lot of things of this that I mentioned last week. But you seem to have enjoyed this. Mm-hmm, yes, uh, I have grown on this film. I've grown from absolutely hating it to m- not liking it. <laughs> I've gone That's... up a notch on the <laughs> on the great. totem pole. <laughs> yep. I don't like this movie man. I just don't know. I don't and I hope as we discuss it I can see more merits to it. It's not that I don't see anything of worth in this movie. It just I just don't connect with anything in it. There's just nothing I connect to in 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 this movie unlike any of his other movies that I've seen. I haven't seen all of his stuff but even the things that I don't love necessarily like uh lost highway there was things in there's things in his movies that i connect to whether it's a character or an emotion that the film wants me to feel or experience or a striking Mm -hmm. visual that's sticking with me and i just don't have that in this movie i was watching it last night Really, really looking at it and really wanting to experience it and having ingratiated myself in this world and our discussions last week about the neon demon and I was thinking about my views on that and I was trying to, you know, think uh, in an open-minded way like I did with that movie, with this one and I don't hate it now. There's lots of things that kind of add up a bit more and the tone makes more sense to me now but I still don't connect with it and I still find it pretentious. Yep. <laughs> to an unbearable degree. But it is one of those films where people are like, it's a masterpiece. It's his best film and I'm just looking at it and I and I struggle with with this movie, uh, very much so, to see w- where people are getting that from. And I guess people could say the same when we talked about Twin Peaks Fire Walk with Me. Um, but to me, Twin Peaks Fire Walk with Me, as crazy as that movie is, it still has that performance at the center of it that really mm-hmm. ground, that really emotionally devastating performance that I can attach myself to. But this film didn't have that for me. None of the performances really stood out to me as particularly striking. They were all good. No one was bad in the movie. I even enjoyed the sillier type of characters that you kind of see in your David Lynch affair at this point. Like a silly hitman character and all of that. But I just don't connect with this film. What about this film worked for you?
1: I guess the the central mystery was one where it was slow to get to a lot of the reveals and when a lot of the reveals, um, and I, I guess this is an interpretation, but if you interpret the film as the first part being all a dream, um, a lot of the mm. ways in which uh, dreamlike elements were connected from the first part to the second part really kind of tickled my fancy. Um, a lot mm. of repetition or... Connecting of things between the two of them in ways that weren't necessarily. Uh, well, maybe this isn't right. Maybe not necessarily direct, but uh, solid enough to identify. Um, I found that an interesting thing going on. Hmm. Hmm. If that makes sense.
0: Yeah. I. Hmm. Yeah. I see. I see what you're saying. I just. Uh, I don't know, man. I I, I like the sensual thing of these two women trying to figure out this woman's identity and then it's a dream and the roles are reversed and you see like, oh, this is actually how the story played out. And that stuff works for me. But what didn't work for me in that first half is just like, I want to be invested in their little romance and exploration and detective case But then we just detour off into all of these other things that just feel really random. And of course, they're not fully random. There's a reasoning for it. There's a dream state logic of, oh, she's taking this thing from her real life world and she's recontextualizing it in her dream to help justify her horrible actions that she's done in the real world and all of that. I get that, but I just... The pacing of the movie... The movie's too long, for a start. Uh, for me, it, it's nearly two and a half hours long. And it feels mm-hmm. it. But
1: I think it is two and a half hours long.
0: It's like two hours and 26 minutes. But okay. I... As as much as, as I was getting into their scenes, and then it would go, and now we're going to meet a cowboy. And then we're going to spend time with this cowboy guy. And oh, we know he's going to be important, but I just wanted to spend more time in their story instead of detouring off to this guy's talking about a dream he had and then and then he faints and then we don't see that guy for another hour. like the, it, it did feel a little bit too much like vignettes, too much like short films, too much like David Lynch wrote these down in his dream journal and he wanted to put them in his movie. Uh, yeah, and-, and you
1: were ultimately led to think that they were going to connect to the main story in some way, but they ended up being... Oh, like red herrings or loose ends.
0: I didn't even think that. I just, I I, like, I I guess I did think that, but there does, like you said last week, there comes a point where you just surrender yourself and go, Oh, I I don't know, but I'm sure David Lynch does. Mm -hmm. Uh, I didn't care about those things. That's the main thing. I didn't connect to any of those vignettes, I didn't connect to the director guy's story. I didn't care about him, or his woes, or his problems, or what that story was commenting upon the Hollywood industry, or her story. I didn't care about the cowboy story guy. I didn't care about the guy who's a dumbass assassin who shoots a fat lady. Like, yeah, it's funny, but I didn't I didn't connect with it. I didn't register with it. What I did was their story. And I know that stuff connects to their story. It does, and who she is in the real world, Naomi Watts. But I was invested in their stuff, and every time we left them and their apartment, my brain just wasn't in tune with what the movie was trying to give me, because I just didn't care about these stories. It's not like Twin Peaks, where Twin Peaks, the show, not the Fire Walk With Me movie, even the Fire Walk With Me movie is far more focused in on the character who's the central thrust of the movie, uh, but the show that has many different stories. I connect more with their stories a lot because one they're all real people um, in that world but also there's a heavy and um, there's a heavy emotional thrust to each one of their stories while in this, I didn't feel any big emotional thrust that I was supposed to get or gleam or I did or didn't from the director's story or from the, the, you know, the cowboy or any of those disparate elements that were there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I just can't get past that stuff. And the twist and the reveals and the hard right turn at the end of the movie, it works for me. It works for me because from that point on, we're really focusing in on, on the main character of the movie. <laughs> yep. Um and what she really is and what's really going on with her, I understood that on this rewatching. I think the first time round, I was just so done with how pretentious the movie was at that point that I didn't care. Um, but I liked them too. I liked, I liked, whatever variants of names you want to call them. <laughs> but, Betty
1: know, and Ruth or Diane Betty, and Rita.
0: Uh, Re- Reader, it was Rita, not Ruth. Ruth,
1: sorry, yeah, Ruth was the aunt. Yeah,
0: yeah, and I liked them. I liked both versions of them, the real version and the dream version um, of them. I liked those performances. I felt for those characters. And that's my issue is I liked them. I felt for them. I really wanted to be with them the whole movie, but we got to go see the scene in which the director guy hits a limousine with a golf club because that's something Jack Nicholson did. It's a reference to a Hollywood thing because David Lynch wants to reference things. Uh, You know, oh, I noticed that reference to Sunset Boulevard. That was subtle. And then, oh, there's another one and there's another one and there's another one. David, I've seen Sunset Boulevard. I get it. You like the movie? So did I. And uh, that's what I was getting frustrated with on this watching is I was noticing these things and I was going yep I, I know David but I just want to go back to our, our two lead characters who I actually have an investment in mm-hmm. <laughs> 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 I'm just being so mean to this to this to this movie but I don't mean to be like I want to like this I want to see the appeal of it that that you see and other people see but it's just there's just too much um, fat. For me, what I see is fat.
1: Yeah, um, definitely. I think there were some scenes that dragged on a bit, like the um, the the club silencio scene. Mm. It was it was a long scene. It was very highly m- metaphorical and surreal, mm-hmm. um, and it was definitely something that like I'd think about more after being Mm. done with the film whereas a lot of other things i was trying to connect them as the film was going on um like a lot of the elements we were talking about before which you describe as fat Mm. which in a way ultimately do kind of end up being like that because Mm. you know the film is described as a mystery film and Mm. you think that there is an entire conspiracy going on because one of the Mm. elements is there is a literal conspiracy a mafia group is uh, forcing a director to hire one specific woman in a role, despite the fact that he doesn't want to. Um, Mm. And you think that that's somehow going to relate to the central story. And that is a kind of false promise that uh, pulls you along throughout the whole movie.
0: And it technically does connect to the central story, though. That's the thing, like, they all technically, like, they all do connect in a way. But it yeah. isn't as crystal. It isn't as crystallized and clear like more conventional movies, or like previous Lynch movies that we've like, or previous Lynch material we've discussed on the show. Uh, as as surreal as those things are, like the Twin Peaks universe is very surreal. There's lots of loose ends. There's lots of ifs and or buts. But there's lots more things in that world that are pretty set in stone of this is what this is kind of thing. But uh, that's my opinion on that. I also have a bigger attachment to that world um, than this one. Uh, so what did you think the movie, uh, I know this is the tough question, it's the David Lynch movie, but I've got to ask, mm-hmm. Yep. what do you think it's about? What do you think it all adds up to? What do you think is being said? What is the movie? What is Mulholland Drive to you?
1: So I see it as um, our, our central character, from my interpretation, is the Diane character, played by Naomi mm-hmm. Watts, who throughout most of the movie is represented as this Betty character. Mm-hmm. Um, in her world, she was an aspiring actress who didn't have the talent and she didn't have the uh fortune of being uh selected for a role Mm. um she had a love interest named camilla played Mm. by our other lead who she was in a relationship with uh it was broken off and camilla ended up having two different lovers that weren't her so she had this dual issue of being Mm. jealous of her and also you know being kind of scorned that her love was ultimately thrown aside um yeah. and in her her reaction to all that was to you know hire a hitman to to kill camilla and at some point a david lynchian surreal stuff happens which puts her into this uh, dream world in which she is living out the idealized life that she would have wanted um so you know she the mm-hmm. per, the woman she loves is with her she is having a promise she's going to have a promising hollywood career uh she completely nails an audition to uh, unambiguous praise and when she doesn't get the role she realizes that it's because there was a conspiracy like the director was forced to choose someone mm. else so it it kind of sees her as uh not being at fault for a lot of things that happened
0: yeah that's a very succinct kind of way of looking at it. I'm very similar. There's a few details that I I kind of picked up upon this watching of it that I didn't on the first all those years Mm -hmm. ago. Yeah, I got it as Naomi Watts, uh, as Diane. Diane's a great name that David Lynch loves to use a lot. Um, Yeah, and the dual
1: identity thing with a character named Diane.
0: Yeah, and dual identities and blonde women. he likes those. Um, And he likes Naomi Watts. Uh... (laughs) And he uh but I got it yeah, I got a very similar vibe of Naomi Watts' character is a fuck up in the real world, Diane, she's a loser, she's a drug addict, she's a failure. She tried to live the Hollywood dream and it chewed it up it chewed her up and spat her out. She was a promising star because she won a jitterbug competition, uh, and she thought that could propel her to higher acclaim, but It did not. She did not succeed in the audition for that movie. And Camilla got that role in the movie that she wanted. And whatever along the way they form a relationship, but the relationship is fundamentally broken at its core because, to me, she hates Camilla and loves her at the same time. She hates the Camilla who is the vapid movie star actress that everyone loves. But she likes this sensitive Camilla that I think is the representation that Rita plays in the dream. That's the Camilla that she likes, the yeah. the sweet natured, good person. She doesn't like the the vapid Hollywood star that Camilla can can put on.
1: Yeah, uh, and the person who was in the dream was also someone that needed protecting, and you know because mm. she sees herself as good, she will protect her and try to solve her problem.
0: Yeah, and. In, in, in the real world, yeah, like you said, her and Camilla have fallen out, Cam- Camilla's gonna marry or get with the director guy, and obviously she has a boner against that director guy, she doesn't like him, obviously, for that, um, and she hires a hitman, like you say, and she regrets it ultimately i you know i think her dream state is her trying to process the the guilt and the regret of killing the love of her life and it's her brain trying to cope with it and justify it and reconcile the fact and ignore it and rationalize it and recontextualize it with all these things from the real world that she's putting in her in her dream state to make her story better the like you said the director didn't choose her because there's a conspiracy in the dream though the conspiracy uh the actress that does get the role is, is is the that actress's name is camilla camilla rhodes it's the Camilla that she doesn't like but this one is played by a different actress it's like a blonde haired lady who we do see in the real world uh, whispering mm-hmm. to the real Camilla at the, near the end of the movie at the dinner sequence at the dinner party sequence so it's like all these things from her real world situation are bleeding into her dreams trying to point her to the reality of situation of what's actually happening as well there's many ominous lines, of dialogue of uh, flagging up what's actually going on. She has, like, a line that's like, oh, it's funny calling yourself, which is kind of ironic, and when they break into uh, the Diane in the dream state, there's, like, the dead body on the bed, which is some foreshadowing, and there's lots of things from her real world that are bleeding into her dream, and she's recontextualizing, and that stuff is... And that's what the movie is. You know, that's what it is to me. And... Um, that is all great and uh, like when I say it and talk about it like that, it sounds so awesome. Like I'm like, that sounds great, you know, I love that. And there's so many more details that are really impressive when if I keep going along that that line of discussion, like uh, you know, keep going along that line. like in her audition scene, the big audition scene that uh, she nails the role and all of that in the dream, like that's in a dream. Um, the director of that movie still doesn't appreciate her performance. He's still like, it feels false and phony. And I get several meanings from that. Like, I, I bet you those were probably the feedback that the real director gave her in her real audition, probably. Because mm-hmm. those are the things you hang on to. Especially when you're an actor. You hang on to the negative feedback more so than the positive. And or, I also take from that scene when the director's still like giving a bad feedback... He's being judged by everyone else and he's seen as completely naive and clueless as if he's a type of guy that can't see a great actor standing in front of them, like he's completely blind and naive. So I also get that. There's also, there's just those little details like that, that I really love about the movie. Like there is things I do love about this movie. The audition scene being probably the best scene in the movie for me, um... And all of that is what I get from, from the movie. And when I talk about it, I'm winning myself over about the movie. But then I just remember, like, long sequences with Billy Ray Cyrus in them. Yeah? And mm-hmm. and the director pouring paint on jewelry. And here's a reference to Sunset Boulevard for a whole scene. And here's another one for, for Gilda. And that's when the movie loses me. And... A lot of its dialogue loses me too. Like, I don't find it as charming as I do in other David Lynch movies because I don't know. There's just, uh, like I keep saying, there's a disconnect there. In other movies of his, I've bought into the world a bit more. Um, so, the weird dialogue of the world of Twin Peaks or the world of Blue Velvet or the world of Elephant Man or the world of A Race Ahead, I feel like I understand or I'm more ingratiated in that sphere and he's put me under the spell that his dialogue makes sense in that world but in this it did feel like oh it's just david lynch dialogue oh here's a guy who's going to talk about a dream he had and it's going to be a really long sequence in which they talk about this dream and it just goes on and on and on and that guy was in idiocracy bartek did you recognize him
1: he looked familiar, but I couldn't pinpoint where I saw him.
0: He's the guy that's in every movie ever made ever, and every TV show. I, I mentioned him in Idiocracy. He's the guy who who um at the beginning of the movie is the intellectual husband who who dies trying to jerk off to um right. inseminate his wife. And he's in everything. <laughs> he's in everything. And here he's in this movie. And he's great. I thought the performance, I thought that scene played brilliantly david lynch definitely nails the the brooding tension of the scene but i just i just didn't care though i don't know like there's the technical aspects and the performances and even some of the lines of dialogue in that scene were really great but i just i just didn't get into it man i just don't know why like i do know like i do i don't know why for that scene in particular i think it's just like i i was just like oh david we get it you like dreams <laughs> like, mm-hmm. That's the whole movie is dreams. Every, you know, doppelgangers and dreams, and this person's playing this person, and there's a double cross. And I i think it's just the David Lynch isms in this movie great my nerves.
1: Then... They're a bit too obvious for you, I guess, this time? Or,
0: or even the first time? I don't know. Yeah, or I guess. Shallow, I don't know. I guess. What were some things that, what were some standout moments to you in the movie?
1: So we had that scene where we first met the director and he was in the, in that meeting room where they mm. met the two mafia guys. Um, and I think that was the first time we, no, sorry, we had the scene earlier where um, they had the phone calls, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was kind of trying to introduce the conspiracy angle of the film. Um, mm. I thought that obviously we were talking about before that we were being strung along. Uh, to think that there was actually a conspiracy in this world, when in fact it was all a metaphor. Um, I felt like the bizarre nature of that scene, because most of the first half of the film is you know, fairly normal, kind of reminded me a bit more of um, the villain from what's called uh, Blue Velvet, how he kind of had a bit of a craziness to him that uh, wasn't quite explained. So I was I was kind of hooked in to those mafia guys who, like, he had the cappuccino and he spits it out. And it, it did feel kind of, I guess, uh, familiar in terms of David Lynch stuff that I've seen before. But I thought that, like, um, that was going to be played up a bit more. So it was something that kind of stuck in my head throughout the film.
0: And they do come back. Time and time again, those guys. I mean, they reminded me, they didn't remind me of Frank from Blue Velvet. They reminded me of the Mafia brothers from the Twin Peaks, The Return, Mm -hmm. (laughs) where they're very ominous, but then they completely deflate that tension by giving them a silly thing to do. Yep. And then they become jokes by the end of the Twin Peaks, the return. But in this, these guys didn't become jokes. One of those guys, um, pretty much the main one of the two gangster brother guys or whatever, the one who reacted to the cappuccino, I'm pretty sure, or the espresso, um, mm-hmm. is the film composer of, of David Lynch, Angelo Badlametti. Um, yeah, I read that. That's him. He was great. I didn't know he did. I didn't know. I didn't know that until, till the credits came along, and I was like, "Oh, oh, he was in the movie as an actor, because he is a really recognizable name. I mean, you see that name written down, you, you're not going to forget it
1: anytime soon. It's a name with an identity to it, yeah.
0: And his music is so good. That's the thing I loved about this movie. The music was was great. I mean, his music's great in all the David Lynch projects he's on. The music is a standout character of the movie. It is really memorable, recognisable. It is it is a real hallmark of uh, of this era of David Lynch, and the music,
1: oh, it's just so good. Yeah, yeah. I remember even in Twin Peaks The Return, that was one of the big compliments you had for it. I mean, I prefer... The, the pink room sequence with the music in
0: Twin Peaks Fire Walk with me with the guitar, and you can barely hear the lines of dialogue. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I like that scene too. Um, with the guys, and they got the briefcases there, and there's just like the golf club sitting on the desk in front of the director. You're like, What's that about? What's he, what's, and then you find out what that's about later. Uh, mm. and he uses it, and just like, what a. Um, pissant the director is just like, no, I'm not cursing that girl. I want my girl. (laughs) And they're back and forth. like They're very much playing it like different scenes. They're playing it in a completely different register to him. And his agent, who was also great. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I also really liked, uh, visually, I liked how David Lynch um presented to jump to the end um her suicide when she shot herself in the in the mouth in the head mm-hmm. i really liked how that was presented it was very very well done the smoke filling the room and it was it was very intense like i wish I was engaged emotionally, like I was in that sequence. Like for for other parts of the uh, other parts of the movie, I found that visually striking. I thought it was an interesting way to to visually show that um, instead of just she shoots herself in the mouth and then falls down on bed. Uh, mm-hmm. That that extra that extra hair theatricality to the whole affair uh was was wonderful i even like the um, not just because it was funny but also the the nightmarish quality of the old people that crawl underneath her door and yeah eventually they become big and chase her around her house and then she goes in the bedroom and kills herself i, I like that i genuinely like that i found the old people characters to be both funny, because David Lynch obviously has a thing about how funny old people are, uh, but he also has a thing about how creepy old people can be. And I found they worked really well for the little amounts we got of them of doing that. Like, I like the scene of them in the back of the limo just grimacing and smiling falsely, and just her
1: patting yeah. his knee over and over again. Yeah, you're, you're taking some words out of my mouth, because earlier when I mentioned that I like had a moment of insight towards the end, it was when they popped up. And they were, you know, throughout the entire film, that's a bit misleading. They're in a scene early on and a scene right at the end. They are all smiles and kind of giggly. So when I did see them again, it -hmm. kind of hit this thing for me. I was like, oh, okay. So there was some sort of supernatural thing that was around from the beginning. I think at that point I was... um, I was kind of struggling between, like, was the first half a dream or was it an alternate universe that, like, mm. the characters had fallen into and they kind of had, like, I don't know, amnesia and thought that other characters were other things. Yeah. Um, so that's what I was thinking in the moment. But then when she shot herself, that kind of brought it back for me because I remembered, oh yeah, they found the dead body.
0: Mm. You also got to remember the old people are in the opening credits of her doing her jitterbug dance. Oh, were they? Yeah, if you watch that sequence again, they're standing right next to her on either side of her cheering and and celebrating her, whether they were judges or even her parents, who knows, or grandparents. And so they're set up from the very beginning of the movie. They're, they're, they're They're right there, front and center, and there they are at the end.
1: Okay, yes. Yeah. I remembered that the film opened with that dancing scene, but I mm. didn't really uh, remember much from it or pass it too much in terms of uh, its connection to the rest of the movie. So it's interesting that they were there.
0: Well, uh, yeah, and they do bring up the jitterbox thing throughout the movie, though. So, mm. uh, yeah, I guess it just didn't stick with you like other David Lynch dance sequences in movies, huh? <laughs> There's no Leland <laughs> well, dancing in Twin Peaks. <laughs>
1: It's no the hand dancing who in this film stands still or sits still.
0: Yeah. You want to explain that, uh, who you're referring to, just for those who are not familiar?
1: Yeah. The character had a name. Uh, I can't quite remember. I think it was like Mr. R- began with R. Mm. Um, he seemed to be the one in charge of the mafia conspiracy. He st- mm. he. What they do is they have the the short actor that played uh, the hand from uh, Twin Peaks in this the arm fate the arm oh the arm that's right the arm oh yeah because the character was missing an arm. Um, they have him standing in this prosthetic average sized body suit, but like his head is still kind of small, so it mm. looks really surreal. He's in the middle of this dark room with a guy standing at the back Mm. and he only talks to people on the phone or through this glass wall at the other end of the room Mm. to talk about mysterious, uh, parts of the conspiracy about how, you know, you have to, you have to get him to cast this girl. He can do anything he wants, but he has to at least do that.
0: Yeah. I, uh, I really like the scene with him where the the guy is asking him like Do do you want me to shut it down? Do you want me to shut it all down? And he's like, Yeah, shut it all down. When the director's still refusing to cast the woman, uh, mm. I like that scene with him. But and again, I like I said I've described what my understanding of the movie is. I know he's important to this, adding to the she thinks there's a conspiracy. But, at the same time, why did we need him
1: there <laughs> yeah it it does feel like a very again, like I said before transparent kind of oh, he's a weird thing to do,
0: yeah, I wish uh, and I wouldn't say David Lynch is a subtle storyteller by any means. There are some very overt things, but there were several moments in the movie that I'm like, oh, oh come on, David, I know you like to be confusing and all, but there's also like some subtlety, like you didn't like the club Silencio scene. I didn't like it either. But I didn't like it in terms of how... um, And I remember feeling this the first time, but I don't know if you felt this, of how obviously it was telling us that this is all fake. Because the whole scene is just, this is an illusion. This is an illusion. This is an illusion. This is all fake. Nothing's real.
1: It's an illusion. And I'm like, okay, I get it, David. Yeah, yeah. It, It starts off like that, but then it lasts a long time afterwards. Yeah. But for me, it just keeps
0: going. And it almost works for me, because there's this bit where this woman starts singing this Roy Orbison song in Spanish, and then she faints. And even though that scene told us over and over and over again that this is all taped and this isn't real, a part of me was still surprised, as were they, that she fell over and the music still playing, because... Yep, same. You... For some reason, I guess, you know, the magic of David Lynch is you forgot the information that was directly told to you that this is an illusion, this is taped, it's not real. I mean, I did for that moment, and that moment then reminded me, oh, yeah, they mentioned that. And then the rest of the movie happened, and then it was like, it's all an illusion. I'm like, I know, you told me an hour ago, David. (laughs) 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 I wish he was in the movie. I wish David Lynch was in the movie for a start. That would have made my appreciation better because I love him as an actor. He's such a crazy weird man.
1: I yeah, he looks good, too. All right.
0: <laughs> he looks <laughs> he looks good, too. He has big hair.
1: Um, he should have been the pool cleaner.
0: Ah, oh, Billy Ray. How did you feel? Billy Ray Cyrus just turns up in the movie for no apparent reason. It was very weird.
1: Yeah, I don't really know him that well or anything. You, just, you're telling me seen...
0: you, you never listen to Achy Breaky Heart?
1: I've heard the song. I guess you've
0: never seen Hannah Montana. No. What? Are you real right now, Bartek? No, we, I'm we, doing we, Here you are walking around being a cultural pleb. You haven't seen Alien, and you haven't seen Hannah Montana. Wow, wow, Bartek. You need you need to get cultured. I think. We need to do the Hannah Montana movie next week. I think that's your recommendation. Uh,
1: well, you can recommend on next week. No,
0: you're recommending it. Forget whatever you had lined up in your brain, and you're excited <laughs> to be like, "This is what we're doing," and surprise me, and then we watch it. No, 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 no.
1: We're doing Hannah Montana now.
0: Far out. But what's the to... name?
1: What's the What's the name of a Hannah Montana movie? Hannah Montana the movie. <laughs> okay, what year is it from?
0: Uh, oh. Oh, you got me there. Let's guess 2010. Come on, Man. <laughs>
1: 2010?
0: I'm guessing that, yeah. Okay. I'm guessing. I'm
1: guessing. Will I be right? Will down. I be wrong? We'll find out next week when we cover Hannah Montana the movie. Uh, hey, Ryan, you got nothing to worry about, because I'm going to be the one recommending it and telling you what year it's from, so if it's wrong, I'm wrong. <laughs> Excellent.
0: Uh, but uh, <laughs> we got Hannah Montana. Billy Ray Cyrus turned up. He was an interesting casting choice. He wasn't bad, but um, he was... That whole sequence where Billy Ray Cyrus is in it as the pool cleaner. Fucking the, the Hollywood director's wife. Um, did it remind you of another scene we've covered on the show? By any chance?
1: Now that you're asking, I feel like there's an obvious answer, but I'm...
0: Really? not popped in there. It was the best scene of the movie, too. That we covered God, on the pod.
1: W- what was the name of the movie?
0: Intolerable Cruelty.
1: Of course, Jeff- the beginning of the film, Jeffrey
0: Rush coming home, <laughs> singing "I'm just a poor boy" while he drives his rich ass Porsche down the most famous Hollywood streets, and he goes to his mansion, and Ollie will fix it. And it reminded me of that. I think this movie came out before, uh, uh, before Intolerable Cruelty as well. So uh,
1: yeah, that that was 2004. So
0: Intolerable Cruelty has a lot, a lot, of, a lot to answer for. I think it has to give a... you know, like a tribute David Lynch, I guess, for the guy comes home to see his wife fucking the pool boy and then he fucks up her shit. Um, yes. This guy just dunked it in pink paint and I was just saying, you can wash that, dear. You know? Like, she was freaking out. I was like, oh no, my jewelry is growing. I'm like, it's just paint. You can wash that.
1: Yeah, and some, some would say that pink jewelry is better. Uh, you would say that. Um, I know a guy named Stark Reality. I think he'd appreciate it.
0: Yeah. I... Like, there are lots of things I really do do love about this movie, but I just can't get past how pretentious it feels to me. I just... There were so many moments in which I rolled my eyes and just went, oh, come on, David. Really? And I, I'll be fully honest. I... I i have a hard time connecting to dream states and movies and dream logic and stuff um i don't remember my dreams in real life and i think that adds to my disconnect when it comes to these type of um affairs it's not just david lynch although i found myself connecting with david lynch dream stuff and other projects but again those other projects ingratiated me into their world a lot more. Well, this one it didn't do it as successfully for me. So when it's all dreamy stuff, I roll my eyes. I do have disconnects with with dreamy type movies of this is a dream and all that. And I'm not afraid to admit that is probably a, a, a major contributing factor. Is I just don't remember my dreams, so I don't fully appreciate or understand the, the what's being captured on screen as a representation of dreams. And Dream Logic, um, that's me, though. Uh, that's not the film's fault, but it does hamper my enjoyment of the film or, or my appreciation of it, because I just look at these sequences and I just go, oh, David, you, you could have just left that in your dream journal, you know?
1: Yeah, now that you mention it, I guess I, in recent years, kind of have been a bit more into the whole dream stuff. Like, I even remember after we did... Um, this is jumping back, I think, like two years when we did the stardust episode Mm. on uh the mystery box and i told you that not long after i listened to that episode i had a dream where i went to a woolworth's to buy some chocolate Mm. and um the name of the the chocolate was something like uh gus fring Mm. and when i bit it it had like the kind of fleshy colors that we saw in some parts of that movie and i just immediately connected like oh Gus Fring, disgusting, and it was this weird thing where I just realised, oh, I'm in a dream. Yeah. And even just last night, it, I had a thing where um, yesterday my brother told me that he, he's lately been playing the the Pokemon game that came out last year in November, mm. and he told me that it has multiple save files so that if I'm interested in playing it, I can, because mm. uh, that's a thing that hasn't happened in the franchise before, and even though I wasn't interested Last night, I actually dreamed I, I was playing it, and it was this weird, like, glitchy affair where nothing made sense. And it's just really weird that a little thing that happened briefly yesterday that I didn't really think much of, you know, affected my dreams in such a really weird way.
0: And uh, see, what you just did, David Lynch transcribed <laughs> and transmutated into his film. That whole experience you just felt of, like, oh, weird, isn't it? And that, that's what he put in his film. And as you were discussing your dreams and all that, my brain started to shut off because I can't relate to you. Because like, yeah. I don't have that. And it's like, and that's a
1: known thing. You've mentioned that to me many times over the years, and I've I've, I've remembered that, yeah.
0: And it's not your fault. It's not this film's fault. It, it is just, this is something yeah. I cannot empathise with or relate to. It's just... And so I have many friends who have surreal dreams and they tell me about their dreams and I'm like, oh, wow, cool. Like, I just don't care. I just, it just doesn't, it just doesn't work for me because I just, I don't have that experience in my, in my everyday life. I, when I wake up in the morning, I'm just like, all right, right. I was just like, nothing happened. I know I do have dreams, but I I just don't remember them. Uh, I haven't remembered my dreams in probably like 15 years so yeah,
1: you, you don't always remember a dream but sometimes I just do. I just it's weird. I, I
0: just don't for whatever reason and they don't stick with me 2 years later.
1: <laughs> like well that one I specifically told someone about so but, it's easy to remember. But it stuck but, with like, you like, and, that, and David Lynch it. writes
0: his down and puts them into movies so they stick with him and then they stick with us because now we have seen them represented and transformed and innovated into his movies and I think that's awesome like I I'm jealous of of that type of Um, storytelling. I I really like David Lynch's several approaches to telling stories. He has many different philosophies and ideologies and standpoints. And we've talked about this before on the pod, but just to touch on it again, we both like David Lynch. We think he's an interesting person. We take him sincerely. Some people think of him as a troll or trying to just be avant-garde for avant-garde's sake. You have to surrender yourself to him, like you've stated in some ways. Uh, I don't fully agree with some of the ways you stated it, but I I agree that there is a level of, like, you just have to surrender yourself to the fact that this isn't going to make logical sense, but it's going to make emotional sense more often than not. It's going to emotionally um, guide you rather than narratively, his yeah, I, I can,
1: I can definitely say that when I was watching this movie and there were some confusing moments... A part of me was thinking, like, okay, here's David Lynch doing his David Lynch thing. But another part of me was saying, okay, but let's try to actually think about it and see if we can make any sense of it. Mm. So I guess I was trying to avoid purposely thinking, like, oh, this is pretentious because I wanted to try to find out what was going on.
0: Yeah, and I like his uh, several different approaches. The way he talks about... uh, Fishing um, is a major kind of thing that he talks about with storytelling. You got to fish for ideas, just sit there and just think and just just keep thinking and write them down all this. And he has this whole philosophy about the eye of the duck. Every movie has the eye of the duck scene in which it's the scene that is representative of the movie. It is the scene that is the the pinnacle of what the movie's about. Uh, like the, what was the donut thing? Like whole of the yeah, donut? the whole of the donut. Like you, you don't want to get your story. It, it, he has crazy notion. The way he describes them is all crazy. But once you kind of understand what he's communicating, it's all kind of fun. He yeah, he has the whole donut where you want to, you want to focus your story in on on the hole in the donut, not the donut itself, which is you know the fat, the fluff, the kind of excess that you could fall into when you tell your story. You want to you want to pursue the story rather than get consumed by it um which i feel i didn't get as much with this one i feel like he took his eye off that hole a little but that's me like i've said and i like also just i he, he's done this with Mahone Drive, but like he'll just collect newspaper clippings and write down dreams and and collect stories and like put them you know, in some shoeboxes or whatever else, and then he'll grab them all out and spread them out and try and, you know, and he'll put some together that form a little scene or or a story, and then before you know it, he's kind of structured out an idea of a movie or, or a show or a project he wants to pursue, and I think that is so awesome. I love that idea, and I've implemented it in my creative pursuits in minor ways here and there and i you know i i I like that and i think it's a valiant way to do it and it's his way of doing it for some of his things and i think it does work in this regard but i i you know and i don't begrudge anyone who likes this movie i just can't get past the pretentious energy of it um Mm -hmm. But that's okay. Everyone has... I think every David Lynch fan or, or or people who enjoy his movies have that one film of his that they just go, "Now that one is pretentious. And they can't get past it. I'm not speaking... I'm just generalizing. But in my experiences, I think everyone has that one film of his... Usually it's Inland Empire. But... <laughs> Which I've only seen a portion of, so I can't speak to its full claim. But I enjoyed what I saw of it. But uh, this one's the one for me. I just find it a little bit too much uh, up its own bum bum.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, well, I can't blame you for that. It is It is what it is, I guess.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, was it fun for you noticing the little David Lynch actors popping up? In the movie,
1: like, oh, there's that one, and there's that one that we've experienced on the show. The main ones that I noticed were, yeah, the, the arm, and obviously, uh, and this came later, but obviously Dougie's wife. Yeah,
0: Naomi Watts, yeah.
1: Naomi Watts. Um, She I wears practically kind of... the
0: same outfit for the first half of the movie. David Lynch likes putting her in slightly ill-fitting clothes in in, in this and in... in uh, Twin Peaks: The Return, like the the button up um, jumper that she has, that's slightly too small on her. He likes he likes her in that kind of outfit. Don't know what that's about.
1: Was there anyone else in this film that was in other things? Wow,
0: you didn't notice uh, the cop at the beginning of the movie who never came back again. The two detectives. Yeah, that was a
1: that was a character. He
0: was the Truman in uh, the Return, the one that replaced. Harry his brother you're right he was and he's yeah. a big actor who only died recently uh, Robert Forster who was in Jackie Brown and Breaking Bad and just in a in a ton of things and he usually played that type of role like the the kind of stern cop role uh, usually um mm-hmm. yeah he only passed away and yeah there was a there was a, a couple others here and there spread but yeah we basically hit the 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 big hitters the guy who had the dream the one who was in idiocracy he was in twin peaks the return as well he was guy who sat next to laptop for most of the show and then just got shot <laughs>
1: oh was he in like an office built room or something yeah Yeah, there was someone like that
0: yeah and there's a a few of those kind of this one features more of like the small smaller parts rather than the bigger ones in his other movies obviously the the arm being probably the most recognizable out of his roster because he's just such a weird looking guy and and he always plays weirdo roles in his movies Um, anything else you want to talk about with this? This is a, you know, it's got a lot going on. There's obviously stuff we haven't touched upon. Anything you want to touch upon?
1: Uh, Nothing spring to mind. I think we got it. Is there anything you got?
0: Uh, no. I guess the final thing I want to talk about is to revisit the discussion from last week of why does this work for you and the neon demon doesn't? Mm Mm-hmm. Because you even stated at the end of the Neon Demon that there wasn't you you didn't feel like there was things in that movie that only made sense to the director. Everything was communicated effectively enough for you, the audience, to, to grab all the pieces and figure it out for yourself. But you even said in this episode, there are certain sections of this movie or certain parts that it's just oh, David Lynch knows what that means. And isn't that mm-hmm. kind of a negative thing? or is it a positive so to return to that how come this one works better for you
1: i guess um i guess maybe it might have something to do with the fact that this film kind of feels like it doesn't have concrete answers or explanations and maybe maybe i just enjoyed trying to piece it together in a way that mm-hmm. you know kind of made sense or it could be interpreted Maybe with the Neon Demon, because I was struggling to find, you know, a concrete answer which I was positive existed, maybe that hampered my experience? Maybe that has something to do with it?
0: But yeah, again, it kind of does sound like, though, it does sound like you had similar issues, though, with the both. Like, this one, you were struggling to figure out what the answers were, but that was fun for you? And in the other one, you were struggling to find out the answers, and it wasn't fun for you.
1: Yeah, maybe, maybe I was just more into the pace of this film. Maybe it's just that I, I was more successful this time in trying to piece things together. Mm.
0: Um, It's interesting. Yeah, maybe,
1: yeah, it is. It's good. I'm trying not to come across like hypocritical or anything. I'm trying to like think genuinely like what, yeah. what the deal is. Because I I've, on,
0: I've th- i I purposely did not bring up last week that Neon Demon has similarities with Maholn Drive because I knew we were going to talk about Maholn Drive and I didn't want that to fully color the experience of watching this and being like when you
1: asked me about when you asked me about David Lynch and then you said that we were doing a David Lynch film next week I put the pieces together well
0: yeah that that was fair but that it would feel weird not to bring that up in the discussion but I on purpose didn't say Marlon Drive specifically um Mm -hmm. because we were going to talk about that one and they do have that overlap you know the LA scene that consumes women and spits them out and hollows them out and they have their different approaches. They are different movies, but there is overlaps in your problems with one and praise of the other, and it's always interesting of why things can be a problem in one movie and not in another, because that is the experience of art. There's the thing of trying to discuss and define why certain things work for you in one thing and don't work for you in another. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's the opposite way around for me with this movie. I found the things that I liked about the Neon Demon's side of things didn't work for me in this movie. Um, I also kind of wish that this movie, um, like the Neon Demon and like other Lynch movies, was funnier? I don't know. It was funny in parts, but I, I don't know. I... I, I, I think David Lynch's sense of humour wasn't as strongly present in this movie like it is in most of his movies, including Fire Walk With Me, which is like a depressing nightmare.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> I don't know if you feel likewise, because you're a big fan of the humour of David Lynch specifically as well. Um,
1: Let's see. Yeah, was...
0: The big comedic set piece being the failed the botched assassination sequence where the guy shoots the guy and then accidentally shoots the gun and goes through the wall and hits a woman and then it goes on and on and on.
1: Yeah, the the immediate tone shift between these two guys getting along and then, oh no, this was an assassination mm. <laughs> and then it goes wrong. Um Yeah, it's I, I guess I didn't really think about it too much, but yeah, the I guess since the whole first half trying is, is kind of trying to build up this idealized upbeat world the humor felt maybe a little bit more natural. I don't mm. not too not too confident in that statement, but the biggest laugh yeah, I,
0: I had in the movie wasn't the, the assassination scene, which is very David Lynchy type of humor. He he you know, he likes that kind of humor, but I found what made me laugh more was Naomi Watts' performance for the first half of the movie cuz it is so overwroughtly like like innocent and bushy eye, like bushy-tailed and bright-eyed, and it made me laugh several times. It was very
1: yeah, it was kind of leaning to Mary sue kind of, which that's kind of the interpretation of, you know, this ideal world. She
0: was playing the virgin, pure old Hollywood type of girl that you would see in those movies, who was like, golly gee, I'm just so happy. I'm going to make it big, and it's going to be great. And like has n- You're going to see me on
1: the silver screen.
0: Yeah, and has no understanding of danger in her world. Mm-hmm. Which, again, is the idealized version that Diane wants of herself to be innocent again, to be naive again, or at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's, that's all I have to really say about it. It still doesn't work for me, but I'm glad it worked for you, and it clearly works for a lot of people. This is held in his uh, high esteem. Where would you place this in your rankings of your David Lynch experience?
1: That's an interesting question, yeah. I've liked all I've generally liked all the things that he's done. Hmm. Um I think maybe blue velvet still tops it a bit. Yeah. Um Do we count the entirety of Twin Peaks as one thing or individual seasons and I I don't know.
0: I I, look, I go (laughs) Blue Velvet's my number one. Blue Velvet is great. Um I like then Twin Peaks Fire Walk with me. I think boy, that film just gets under my skin. And then a race ahead, and then Elephant Man, and it, it goes on from there. And uh, This movie's my lowest on the list of the ones I've seen of his. Oh, maybe Dune. Dune's below this one. Um, <laughs> because that's David Lynch struggling uh, from the studio. Uh, at least this is I, him I will... full force.
1: Yeah, I will say, similar to The Neon Demon, I am keen to rewatch all the david lynch films mm. as well just you know a- again as we were talking about in the neon demon these kind of uh surreal films do have some rewatch ability merit to them you know you yeah. remember things and then you can analyze it a bit easier than just thinking back
0: it's so funny to me too because last week one of your main complaints about the neon demon was how slow it was and that it was so long and yet it wasn't even two hours and this is like you know, nearly two and a half hours, practically two and a half hours, and that wasn't even something really brought up in this for you as an issue. Yeah. It's just, you know, it is that's the interesting thing about movies, you know, what works for some don't work for others for me. Like I said, the pacing of Neon Demon flew by a second time round. This time round with this one, this movie felt its length to me. Um, it didn't feel less or more. It felt yeah, that felt it. But uh that is this entire
1: this entire cycle has been interesting. Like all three films that we've had recommended are you know entertainment industry focused. All three we've brought up the pacing of them. Like mm. one feels quick, the other feels doesn't. It's yeah, it almost makes me think like oh, there's a conspiracy going on with our choices.
0: Yeah, and so the Hannah Montana movie you're going to recommend also deals with the entertainment industry, of course.
1: So yes, next week we are doing. <sighs> The Hannah Montana movie or Hannah Montana the movie from 2010. Um, I was originally going to pick the 1982 film First Blood, um, but you know, this is what happens. <laughs> uh,
0: well, do, I'll, I'll ask you again do you want to do mm-hmm. First Blood?
1: Next week, we are doing the 1982 film First Blood.
0: I didn't say that you could say that we're doing that. I asked if you wanted to.
1: Yeah, but then I remembered I'm a host. Oh, that's fair.
0: So that is Rambo movie, right?
1: Yep, the first Rambo film. Oh, it
0: is? I kind of lose track with how they're chrono- chron- chronologi- chronologically they order these days. Because mm-hmm. is it First Blood and then First Blood Part 2?
1: Yeah, it's First Blood, then Rambo, First Blood Part 2, then Rambo 3.
0: And then it just keeps going on, Rambo 4, Rambo
1: 5. I've only seen the first two.
0: Oh, wow, you're a fool. You need to watch all of them. All right, so we're doing First Blood. Uh, Rambo himself. Make sure to watch that in the interim. Uh, It'll be an interesting experience. Uh, I can't remember... If I have or haven't seen this, I've seen one of them at some point. We'll see. I remember what one I did see had very obvious dubbing. So, we'll see if it's this one. We'll see. We will. Uh... Uh, so make sure to check that out. You can follow us, follow us on the social medias of Facebook and Twitter. Spit and Polish presents, and make sure to rate and review us on whatever podcatcher allows it. Hit us up at our email at spitandpolished@gmail.com. At Let us know your thoughts, opinions, and questions, and all that that uh, you feel like you want to hit our way, uh, whether it relates to this movie or ones we've talked about on the pod before. And you can recommend movies for us to cover on the show down the line, like our friend Reese McKenzie did with this film. Uh, yep, mm-hmm. that's all the information out there, Bartek. Um, I feel like leaving us on the last dream I do remember having. Are you, are you okay with me finishing up the episode with that?
1: Yeah, let's hear it.
0: So I remember vividly in high school, About 15 years ago, no, not high school, but yeah, like about... I was was about to say. Not 15, I'm not that old. About 15, maybe 14 years ago, I remember vividly I had a dream that was me waiting in line at the school canteen to get nuggets, chicken nuggets with chicken salt. Mm -hmm. And then I woke up.
1: Okay, That's my dream. It was a memory. It wasn't a dream.
0: It was a memory. It was just my memory played out for verbatim. There was no any alterations. It was just a memory. And that has always been my dreams. It's just the memory plays out with no additions that are notable if there are any. It is just a memory happened.
1: (laughs) Was it a memory or was it a reconstruction from something that happened that previous day which made you remember and construct this brand new scene of something that you have done in the past, but it wasn't exact.
0: In the real world, I did get the nuggets, but in the dream world, I didn't get them because I woke up before I got them.